How's everyone doing this morning? Okay, so it's good to be here this morning. Um, it was wonderful worship and praise time. Thanks so much, Heather and the team. Um, it's really amazing to be part of a community of people who are striving for the advancement of the kingdom of God on the earth. How many of you are excited to be part of God's kingdom on the earth? Amen. Um, and one of the things that we face, diving right into what I'm going to be talking about today, we're going to be dealing with today is the importance of dealing with failure. Oh, Mark, I thought it was a happy message. Well, actually, it is a happy message and it is an encouraging word, okay? And the reason why is because the number one fear in the world, who can tell me what it is? Anyone know? Fear of, of what? What's the number one fear? Failure and public speaking. Did you know that? How many people are afraid of speaking in front of lots of people? Don't worry, you don't have to admit it. But if you do, it's fine. The, the reality is most people are afraid of public speaking because they're scared they're going to say the wrong things. And so actually at the root cause of that is also the fear of failure. How many of you have noticed that what you're most scared of finds you? Do you know in the book of Job, chapter 3, verse 25, Job says, The very thing I feared came upon me. Do you know that your fear can draw things into your life that you don't want there? And do you know that Jesus said you were not given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind? So fear and anxiety actually has no place in your life. Yes, it's okay to have a fright. It's okay to feel turbulence, but it's not okay to live there. Are you with me? It's proven scientifically that fear will literally rob you of your health and of your psychological well-being. In fact, just watching news that has got negative stories creates anxiety and fear. Do you know that it's the number one cause of depression in our world today is the media? Isn't that amazing? Maybe if we change the kind of media we're watching. I don't know. We could deal with that problem. What do you think? Amen? So what I'm talking about this morning is, well, okay, when you do fail, then what? Amen? Because whether it comes to practical things in your life, I'm sure some of you have tried to make something or create something or do something that you've never done before. How many of you have noticed that no matter um, how hard you try, the first time you always fail? Or have we got a couple of geniuses in the room that never failed the first time? Okay, no one. Okay, cool. So the reality is that no one learns without failing. Wow. That means that failure is an essential component to learning. And yet the very thing you're afraid of is stopping you from learning because you're scared of failure. Did you know this? There was this guy. Now, I picked this guy because I figured all of us would be old enough to remember this guy. Anyone know Thomas Edison? Okay, you see these things blinking up here, these little light bulb efforts? Yeah, he was the guy who made those. Not these particular ones, but the whole idea. And before the first light bulb was created, he went through 10,000 different types of materials. Sorry, not 10,000. 2,000 different types of materials to find a filament that would last long enough in a light bulb. How many of you are willing to fail 2,000 times? In fact, he, in all his projects, failed more than 10,000 times. He says, I haven't failed. I have found 10,000 ways that don't work. So some things about him is, that Thomas Edison, um, his teachers said he was too stupid to learn anything. Imagine if you had believed that. Right? Imagine if he had adopted that. Have you ever had people say things about you that, number one, didn't agree with what God thinks? And number two, was really just their own opinion. Who cares? If it doesn't agree with God, it's not, it's not valid. Isn't that right? A person's opinion that disagrees with God is at the mercy of God's opinion, I reckon. 
And what God says about you, oh, if only you knew. As an inventor, Edison made a thousand unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb. That's apart from all the tests on the different filaments. That's just actually getting one that would be reasonably good enough and then trying to get it to work. The lights you enjoy in your house today come as a result of probably one of the most epic failures in the world. Which means failure forward was the, pro- was the process by which you actually got success. So what's the secret of success? Failure. Now listen, just on Richard's points here about school fees. I'm not talking about failing your tests. I'm talking about when you take your, your theoretical information and you go and put it into practical application, it doesn't always match. How many of you have figured this out? It says do A, you do A. It says do B, you do B, and then everything falls apart. And you're like, what happened? Well, you didn't know that between A and B, you're supposed to hold this thing in the middle here so that B can actually work with A. You know, have you ever had that one door that just opens because you know how to open it? Have you ever had that? Where the key goes in, anyone can put the key in, but to get that door open, it's that little shuffle, that little maneuver, that little thing that you have to do. Ever had one like that? So, so what happened the first time you tried to open that door? It didn't open. But what did you do? You didn't go, oh, I'm a failure. I can't open a door. Oh, which is what we do, isn't it? With so many things in our lives. What you did is you carried on, right? You kept trying until you found a way and then it worked. You know, bar breaking the key and calling the locksmith. Which does happen occasionally. <laughs> Amen? So what I'm trying to get you to understand is that The reason I'm using Edison, and there are many examples. I could have used modern ones, but I just figured this guy's dead. No one can go hunt him down and tweet bad things about him or anything. So at least he's safe. (laughs) His career isn't in jeopardy. There's nothing like that. All right. So when when a reporter asked him, how did it feel to fail a thousand times? Edison replied, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. Now, you know, I think about this this as a practical thing, right? But I think about this in when you learn to play an instrument or when you learn to do something you've never done before. How many of you are afraid to do things you've never done before? You don't want to feel out of your depth. And the reason you don't want to feel out of your depth is because you're scared of the failure that comes with being out of your depth. Young people tend to learn things faster, not because they're smarter than you, but because they don't care to fail. They don't care to fail. When they get old enough to care to fail, they stop learning as fast. I'm telling you now, you need to learn this. Because this is the thing that's been holding you back all your life. It's failure. And God doesn't want us to live in this place of failure, because what does failure produce? It produces an identity of disqualification. Many of us have felt disqualified in different areas of our lives. And I'm not talking about the things you don't like doing and the things you like doing. That's a different story. I'm talking about the things you wanted to do, you tried to do them, and they didn't happen, so you just thought you're no good at it, and you stopped. Yet God has probably gifted you in that area. You just haven't developed it. So, when it comes to putting biblical things into practice, often, because we lack experience in it, we don't understand that when we fail at it, it's not the end of it. It's only the beginning of it. Okay, so let me give you this, uh, uh, this picture. Let's say I'm supposed to give, uh, put water in the garden every day at, say, 8 o'clock in the morning. And I don't do it. And the, what will happen is the garden will die. Okay? If the garden dies, do I never plant another garden? Or do I learn that I'm supposed to be disciplined at putting the water in every 
day at 8 o'clock. It wasn't because you were stupid. It was because you weren't consistent. And consistency is something you learn through discipline. And discipline is something you choose for yourself. It's not something someone puts on you. Legalism is when someone tells you what is expected of you. Discipline is when you choose to put an expectation on yourself because you want to achieve a particular goal. Do you see the difference? So when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he was teaching them how to live according to the pattern of life that he was patterning. But they chose that because remember, he asked them, follow me. Did they have a choice to follow him? Or did Jesus say, now you better follow me or else? It wasn't like that, was it? No, it was an honor to follow Jesus, and they chose to follow him. And Peter was a prime example of this. When Jesus was walking on the water, he looked at this and thought, hmm, he's my rabbi. I'm learning to be like him. If he can do that, I should be able to do that too. That was how the, the, the disciples saw Anything Jesus could do, they should be able to do. So Peter said, well, if it's you, Lord, call me to come and I'll come to you. Now, I mean, if it was a ghost, it could have lied. Am I right? Demons don't tell the truth. So he was kind of setting himself up, isn't it? But the reality is it was Jesus. So Jesus said, come. And what people forget is that Peter did walk on the water. They think, oh, he of little faith. Well, what about those in the boat? They had no faith. And unfortunately, it's such a picture of where the church is today. Out of 12 disciples, one will get up and walk on the water, and the other 11 will sit back there criticizing how he walked. And that he needed Jesus because he fell. But they never got out of the boat. Because they were scared to fail. And I'm, listen, I'm not trying to condemn anyone. If you feel any condemnation, the devil's lying to you. I'm trying to illuminate the problem so that you can see it clearly and you can deal with it. You and God. Amen? All right, so reasons for failure when it comes to biblical truths and biblical principles in the area of healing, deliverance, casting out demons, trusting God for supernatural um, uh, morality, because remember, morality isn't something that you can DIY, okay? It's either by the gifts and fruits of the Spirit or it doesn't happen. Are you with me? You can DIY being a good person for only this long. Until someone annoys you long enough. Is that right? But if you operate from the Spirit, you can develop the ability to be as patient as God is, as kind as He is, as merciful as He is, because He's imparted His nature to you. How many of you have received the Holy Spirit? Well, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, then the Holy Spirit, this says, the fruits of the Spirit is love. And the proper rendering of that interpretation should be square brackets and it explains what love is. Patience, kindness, joyfulness, peacefulness, all that stuff. It's also qualified in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, kind, doesn't get irritated, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, isn't annoyed, doesn't ce celebrate evil, celebrates good, believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. It's a pretty positive attitude. So if you've got the nature of God in you and you're a negative, you're operating in the opposite spirit to God. Get rid of that thing. Negativity has got nothing to do with God. God is not a negative force. In fact, what did God do with the Israelites when they were grumbling and complaining in the desert? Oh, we haven't had meat. Oh, we haven't had this. Oh, we haven't had that. God was fed up with them. Go read the Old Testament and see how many times He was upset with them. And all because of their grumbling and complaining. What pleases God is faith in Him, not grumbling and complaining to Him. But yet we've turned our prayer lives often into grumbling and complaining. And then we expect God to move. And the reality is we don't know what His promises are. We don't understand them properly. And so we operate in unbelief, even though we call ourselves believers. 
And we become this oxymoron, an unbelieving believer. Because we don't believe everything God has for us. We only believe this one thing. One day I'm going to heaven and that's good enough for me. I'm waiting for the big rescue mission where God's going to come and take me out of this dreadful place because I can't stand any of you all. So it's to heaven with me and to hell with all of you. Because that is what most people's end times eschatology is all about. A big rescue. What? You're the rescue party. You're supposed to be the people who rescue the world. You're not waiting for a big escape. You are the escape plan. Do you understand the difference here? We're not waiting for God to rescue us out of here. He left us here so that we can be the salt and the light of the world, so we can change it, so we can rescue everyone. But it's not going to happen as long as we're preoccupied with our own ideas and our own things and our own adventures, and we're not going to focus on what God's plan is, what God's mission is, and what God wants for us. We're not going to get there. Why? Because we're focusing on the wrong things. And the devil loves to keep you distracted. How many of you have noticed that you're, you, you're on your way doing something and then all of a sudden you're doing something else? He loves to distract you, get you off what you, what you had in your mind. Isn't that right? So be careful. So some reasons for failure. Number one is unbelief. Now, in this story in Matthew 17, 19 to 20, Jesus is up on the mountain with um, Peter and James and John. And there's a transfiguration happening. And Elijah and Moses and Jesus end up on the mountain. If you don't know the story, that's what happens. And Peter sees this and he says, Master, let us build three tents. Because whenever the glory of God comes, then you've got to have a building program. And God comes down in a cloud He covers the whole thing, and he says to them, this is my son, listen to him. And what the whole story is trying to tell them is that the the position of what Moses represented and what Elijah represented was the past, and Jesus is the future. And where the, the law and the prophets spoke, Jesus now speaks. And this is again reaffirmed in Hebrews 1, verse um, 2 to 3, where it says, In times past, He spoke to us by the fathers, but now in the last days, He has spoken to us by the Son. And so we can see, as they come down the mountain, they've had a pretty heavy spiritual experience. How many of you think that sticks with you? Amen? Just a little bit. It's okay, I don't mind you laughing at me. It's actually better. Okay, so they come down the mountain, and guess what happens? They find a man who is trying to get the disciples to cast out a demon. Now, if you go a little bit back in time, you'll find out that, that, angel, that all the disciples were sent out, and they went and they cast out demons, and they came back, and they said, and they were even surprised how the demons would come out by the mention of Jesus' name. Am I right? And so in this situation, it's kind of expected now that the disciples know how to cast out demons. So they've succeeded before, but now they're facing this particular situation and they're failing. And you know what makes the failure so terrible for them? The fact that there's people watching. Because no one of us likes to look stupid. Never mind the fact that stupid isn't not knowing. Stupid is knowing and not doing it. (laughs) You see how the devil lies to people? Ignorance isn't stupidity. Am I right? Ignorance is ignorance. And so they do their best, but they can't get this boy free because of the way that they are seeing the situation. And Jesus gets called by them. And Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And he rebukes the disciples in front of everyone by telling them, how long will I put up with you? How many of you would like Jesus to come around and say, how long am I going to put up with you? When are you going to get this? 
Now, that doesn't mean Jesus didn't love them. It didn't mean that Jesus was like angry with them for the rest of the day. He was just disciplining them at that point in time. So they learned this very early on to ask questions privately. You'll get private answers. Amen? And so they come to Jesus and they say to him, um, as you can see there, it says the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Now, there are about three versions of this in the different Gospels, and some are shorter than others. But basically what it boils down to is that this type of unbelief comes out through your relationship with God. And because what you'll see is the one says prayer, the other one says fasting, and then some will dispute whether fasting is there at all. Okay? So the reality is that it's actually about your relationship with God that determines your ability to look beyond the natural because you know how powerful the supernatural is in place of the natural. Are you with me? Your relationship with God will determine the strength of your trust in His ability in the situation. The disciples were looking at the boy. Now, if you go read, you'll find that the boy had been thrown into the fire and into the water several times. Do you know what happens to someone's skin when that, when that gets done? It looks pretty gruesome. When you come into a situation and you see someone quite br- gruesomely mutilated, what is the first thing that keeps playing on your mind is what you're seeing. Am I right? How many of you like seeing deformed people and stuff? No, it, it affects you, isn't it? It's a, it's a very negative thing on a person's psyche. And so you have to learn to look past that if you're going to have faith for things beyond that. And it's not easy. I can tell you now, it's not easy. I've seen all kinds of things. I've seen, I've seen people uh, that have been connected to machines that are living on tubes. I mean, if you're looking at that situation and you allow that thing to burn into your brain, Having faith becomes very difficult because the situation becomes bigger than what you know God can do. And so you have to almost move away from that. You guys all okay still? Okay, so he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. How many things will be impossible? So if nothing will be impossible for you, then we have, this is a very important thing to learn. Don't you think? How many of you would like to remove all the impossibilities in your life and make them possibilities? And the way to do that is to learn what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, you... You have faith in me, have faith also in God. Because this is another rendering of it, okay? If you you have faith as a mustard seed. Now, how many of you have ever seen a mustard seed? It's one of the smallest seeds, yet it grows into one of the biggest trees. Okay? And why Jesus uses this is because it's small, right? You could have said like a grain of salt. Or you could have said a grain of sugar. That you could have said the same thing as an example, but Jesus is using this to illustrate. All you need is faith as small as a mustard seed. In other words, it's got to be there. But what is this faith? This faith isn't in your ability to have faith. This faith isn't in the doctrines of men. This faith is in who God is. It's in Him. Because Abraham believed God. He didn't believe anything else. He believed God even though everything was dead. This was the faith that we are talking about. The faith of Abraham and even the faith of Jesus. Jesus believed God. That's why he was willing to go and hang on a tree for you. Believing that God would be able to use his sacrifice to redeem us all. He had to believe God. And so the first thing is, you have to believe God. And it means that if you believe God, then you have to know what God has said so that you know what to believe about God. Because how will you know anyone except you speak to them or or at least they tell you about themselves? And if someone is trustworthy and true and they make you a promise, then do you trust them? If their reputation is trustworthy and true, yes. 
In fact, I'd, I'd imagine we trust people who are not as trustworthy as God more than sometimes we trust God. Because God is out there in the ether, out in the invisible world. It's, we, 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 we're so sense-driven in a lot of what we do. So I'm trying to get you to shift, using sense-driven examples to shift to see how this is applicable within the invisible realm, even though you can't see it. Because God's principles don't change. Action is still action. Whether it's spiritual or physical, the two are not independent of one another. There is no spiritual action towards setting people free lest people get up and go preach the gospel. You can pray until the cows come home. If you don't go and put feet on the ground, nothing's going to change. Am I right? Okay, so, next one. So that's one reason for failure, is unbelief. So it's unbelief in God, unbelief in what God has said about you, etc., but this one here is probably one of the biggest ones that cause people to have problems. And is this called the traditions of men? Now, in this particular chapter, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he's talking to them about how they compromise on the word of God. He says, you have many traditions. The word of God says, honor your father and your mother. But you say that if a man pays a tribute, then... He'll be absconded of his obligation. And by doing so, you nullify the word of God. Many traditions like these do you have? How many times have we allowed culture and tradition to nullify God's word? In other words, we've chosen to follow our tradition and our culture instead of what God's word says to do. Oh, but that's my culture. Well, when you became a believer... You became grafted into the tree of life and you were part of the culture of heaven. You have a new culture. And it's time we escape the demonic old ways and embrace the godly new ways. Amen? Because it's not about one particular culture being better than another. It's about heaven's culture being better than all. And it was displayed and demonstrated to us in the life of Jesus. And so the first thing we have to do is we have to start finding these traditions that have crept into the body of Christ. And we need to begin to slaughter them because they are keeping you from your destiny. Because when someone teaches you something, presumably from the word of God, that isn't true, that nullifies the truth of God's word in your life, then you have faith for God not doing what he says he will do. Isn't that a disaster? I don't know about you, but I don't feel like robbing people at all of what God has for them. I want them to have everything, even if I call the kook, I don't mind. Okay? I'll be a nut, you know, like nutty. As long as Jesus is the bolt. Amen? You got it. So the traditions of men are normally doctrines and theologic perspectives that excuse away the power of God. They're based on explaining failure so that it can become acceptable. Instead of looking at what the Word of God says, raising the bar of expectation, and continuing to push forward towards that expectation until our lives line up with God's Word, rather than trying to remold God's Word to say, no, that's not really an expectation for us. And we need to stop doing that. And that means we have to deal with the things that let us do that. How many of you are willing to explore those things and to start eliminating them from your life. At least three of you. I'll see you soon. Hopefully more of you will join. Hallelujah. Next one. So the, the unbelief and traditions are one of the two major ones. But then when someone is doing things. Like when you're out there. Maybe you're praying for people. You're ministering to people. Or even when you're trying to build a company. Or you're trying to do something like learn a new skill set. If you get entangled with everyday life, very quickly you won't be able to finish what you started. Isn't that right? And the Bible says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
Now, this is Paul writing this to Timothy, and he's writing it using military language because he's trying to explain the type of commitment that we've all made to the kingdom of God. And what is that commitment? That commitment is that we are enlisted in the kingdom to be ambassadors for the kingdom. And so to get sidetracked with everyday life and to allow it to ensnare us actually slows us down and can cause us to operate in failure. Failure to achieve the things that we set out to do that we know that God has put on our hearts. And I'm sure we've all got stories about that. I know there's plenty of stories about that, but time does not permit me to share all my stories. So I like to stick to the Word of God as much as I can. All right, because I believe that you can go back and you can take these things and you can explore them further, but my story is on my own. That's how I interacted with God. How you interact with God might be different, but the Word of God has a standard outcome that we can all attain. doesn't mean we always do, but it means that if we get good at understanding God's nature and operating in it, we can get there. Amen. All right, next one, please. So this is a very crucial thing. Often, we do not recognize all that is within us. We will judge ourselves by the mistakes we've made. We'll judge ourselves by the failures we've had. We'll judge ourselves by what other people say. We'll judge ourselves by our performance. And we'll look at ourselves and we will not recognize all that God has placed on the inside of us. And now, this is why it's important on a daily basis to remind yourself of all that God has placed on the inside of you. How many of you have felt like on a daily basis you need a little bit of encouragement? Okay, Psalm 103. David, the psalmist, writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Why is he telling his soul to bless the Lord? Because he needs encouragement. Isn't that right? The Bible says, encourage yourself in the Lord. How? Begin to celebrate that which God has already given you. How do we enter his courts? With thanksgiving and praise. Isn't that right? Not with grumbling and complaining, but thanksgiving and praise. Do you know that you can get very far just by being thankful for whatever you have? And living in a place of thankfulness for, on a daily basis. You might, you, you might say something like, I know God has got more for me, but I'm so happy with all that He's already done for me. Amen? And I celebrate everything I have that God has given me. The breath I get to draw. The life I get to live. The health that I have. The, 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 the privilege of being part of His kingdom. There's so much for us to be thankful for. Amen? anybody can see the things that still need to happen. Even Paul wrote, all things were placed under Jesus' feet, yet we do not yet see all things under his feet. What is he saying? They've been placed there, but we need to enforce it. But if we believe that it's never going to happen, then we'll never see it. Amen? So we need to get out of that unbelief and get into this. And the only way is to recognize all that is within you. The Spirit that created every atom that exists throughout the eternal fabric of eternity time exists and resonates with your spirit. You literally are one with Him. Every particle in existence, He brought into existence. He's with you. If He's with you, the one who created everything, then is there anything that cannot be done? It's all about whether you believe it. And that comes by recognizing what he has put in you. It doesn't come by accident. It comes on purpose. Because you choose to believe that what he says about you is true. Amen? So you might have heard many teachings on identity. Who you are in Christ. What you can do. How it operates, etc. Go and listen to them again. And again. And again. And again, and again, until you start living it. Because it doesn't, it's not real until you're living it. It's only information. Until you mix into information action, then you get transformation. Information alone will not transform you. Amen? 
I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Next one, please. So, this is a very good one. In our modern world, people lack endurance and patience. Isn't that right? Everyone wants everything yesterday, and, don't, and then they frown if you're going to deliver it tomorrow. Amen? And this, this fast-paced life does not teach people how to endure or how to have what's known as delayed gratification. How many of you have heard of delayed gratification? When you put in the effort and then you finally achieve the goal, there's, there's a whole psychological process that's behind that that actually benefits you when you do things like that. Delayed gratification, especially with your kids and with yourself, it's a very important thing to have. Now, the lack of endurance and patience is really rooted in the lack of spiritual stamina because if God doesn't do it now, then He isn't real. Because obviously God is always on trial in the, in the courtroom of your conscience. And if He doesn't do what you want, then He's not God. Really? No, no, no. The only demands we get to make are on the demands of His Word, and He's already in agreement with them. We're not in opposition to our Father. We're in agreement with Him. Amen? We find out what He wants, and then we agree and we do what He wants. There's no dispute there. Amen? Now watch this verse. It says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So you've got to know the will of God in order to do it. How many of you know you can't do the will of God if you don't know it? Which means God's will can't be that much of a mystery. Otherwise, how the heck are you going to know what to do? It's a bit of an unrealistic expectation, isn't it? God's will is not a mystery. All you've got to read is this book and you'll understand it very clearly. Stop trying to read into it and just read what it says. And when you don't like something, change. Don't try and change God to fit you. Change to suit God. Because that's the way it works. And when you do that, you become better. Because God knows ultimately what you're supposed to be. You've got no cooking clue. You're not that smart. It's just not true. God knows who you're supposed to be. He knows your full potential. And He knows how amazing you are. You got it? Alright, next one please. Okay, James chapter 1 verse 5 to 8. says, if any... Of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. The word without reproach means without finding a reason not to. It means that God will give you wisdom. How many of you want wisdom? Okay, good. Here's some wisdom for you. Whoever, whoever has your ear has your heart. Whoever, whoever has your ear has your heart. So give God your ear. Listen to what He has to say. So that your heart can be with Him. Amen? Because where your heart is, there is what? Your treasure also. Isn't that right? Okay. Double-mindedness is a very dangerous thing. It means one day... Or right now you say, yes, I believe what God says. And you walk out here and you go, oh, but you know, life is so hard and it's probably not true. That's, this is like this. Are you with me? And the Bible says that a man like this must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Because he's double-minded and he's unstable in all his ways. How many of you would like to be someone like that? And this is a major cause of failure, isn't it? Because when you're double-minded about something then you allow the enemy to convince you that what God says isn't true. If any of you lacks wisdom, then him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Next slide, please. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So that means that having faith and doubting, they kind of coexist, isn't it? It's not one or the other. You can have faith and then doubt the faith. And if your doubt is greater than your faith, you'll pull your faith out with your doubt. 
So think of faith as something you're, you're, you're putting in there. You're trusting God, right? And then all of a sudden, you get a thought that comes into your mind, tempting you to doubt. And you give in to that doubt, and so you pull back. And when you pull back, you pull your faith out. Does it make sense? Don't quit. Keep believing. Don't let any thought contrary to what you've spoken be allowed to have any space. Don't discuss it. Don't mention it to anyone. Let it go in and out. Amen. Don't be a negative field catcher. Don't catch the negative thoughts. Just let them through. Amen. Are you following me on that one? Okay. Next one. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Next one. Okay. This is an important one. Because I think this is at the core of just about everything. The reason we fear to fail, the reason we have all these doubts, is because we're not established in the love of God. And what does it mean to be established? It means that... You understand that God's love for you is not conditioned or conditional on the basis of your performance, but it has been eternal even before you didn't deserve it. Does it make sense? And you're rooted in that thing so deeply that not only have you accepted for yourself that this is what you have, but you've also accepted that this is something that has to pass through you to others. It's become who you are. You're rooted and grounded in love. You know, you can't kill love, eh? Love will just keep living. That's why you're all eternal. You were created to be love. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you're being rooted and grounded in love. It's a very important thing. Know the love of the Father for you and know His love for others. And it will be easy for you to love God and to love others. Amen? Right, next one. Are you guys learning something this morning? I know it's hot. Trust me. I can feel it. So, fear of failure is probably one of the top ones. Whatever you're afraid of, you will pull. When you're scared of, these are the excuses I've heard. No, I don't want to go pray for that person because I'm not ready and I might misrepresent God. Have you ever heard that? Or I might bring shame to God. If God was worried about that, He wouldn't have redeemed the whole planet. He never had anyone perfect to use. He had to make everyone perfect and then put a perfect spirit in them and it's still a hassle to get them to do anything. So stop being afraid because you're not supposed to operate by fear. Step out and let God use you. I take it everyone in this room has a desire for God to use them. Am I right? I mean, I'm not fooling myself, right? And if the only thing in your way is the, is the fact that you're scared that you're going to either make God look bad or make yourself look bad, then maybe if we just got out of the way of that, we could just do it and get better at it by practicing it. Am I right? Because what's the big deal? It's not like no one has ever made a mistake or no one's ever failed at this. We've all had our ups and downs. We've all had our successes and failures. Join the club. You only get good at it by doing it. No one can play the keyboard as well as Heather unless they've had hours and hours of practice. Am I right? Right. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. Next. All right, I'm going to end with this. You see those, the picture there? Can you see it? It's a lifeguard picture. Okay, I'm going to try and be very brief with this. Imagine you are at the beach with your child. And there's a, there's a designated swimming area at the sea, and they go in swimming. And there's a lifeguard. The lifeguard normally has that podium that he sits on and he watches over the water. You guys are all familiar with this, I'm sure. We're at the coast. So, and when I go to other places and I tell this story, they look at me like they're trying to imagine it. <laughs> anyway, so, so you're standing there and, and they're out in the water and for whatever reason, they start drowning. 
All right? Now, they're quite far in. The tide's pulling them out. You can jump in, but who's the fittest of them all? The lifeguard, am I right? So I want you to imagine you're there, and you look at the lifeguard, all right? And the lifeguard takes his binoculars, and he looks out on the water, and he puts them back down, and he sits back down. And you can see the splashing in the water. Your child is struggling. What's going through your mind? They're drowning. Am I right? And you see this lifeguard sit down. What, what, what is going through your mind at that point in time? Are you going to have some words with this guy? You better, because otherwise I think I might lose two points of respect for you. Because you should. Am I right? So you go up to this guy and say, hey, what's wrong with you? My child is drowning. Why aren't you out there? What's wrong? Am I right? And he gets up and he says, look, sir, you just don't understand. I've done this for a long time. He's too far out. The tide's going to pull him under. By the time I get there, he's dead anyway. I know better than you. I'm the expert. Well, how do you feel about that? I want you to imagine that lifeguard and I want you to imagine the anger you have towards that person because of the injustice that's being done. Because it is an injustice. Would you agree? Why is it injustice? Because he's not doing anything. Does he have the responsibility to do it? Does he have the skills to do it? Is he better equipped than you to do it? And he's doing nothing. I want you to remember this. Then the second story is the same story, but your child is drowning and the lifeguard picks up the binoculars, looks out on the water and sees your child drowning, takes a, like a rubber thing that he's supposed to take with him, jumps down, runs into the water, swims out there. By the time he gets to the child's under the water, so he's diving around looking for your child, he eventually finds your child Drags him all the way to the beach, tries to do CPR, nothing, the child's dead. How do you feel about this lifeguard? It sucks that your child's dead, don't get me wrong. And I'm not prophesying this, this is just an example. But, is it, but even though he failed, was the fact that he took action not better than not doing anything. So doing something and failing is better than doing nothing. No, no, none of us wants to live a life where we're taking action and failing all the time. That sucks. Am I right? But also, we can't afford to be a people who do nothing because we complain about all the reasons why we can't take action. I don't have enough money. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not old enough. And there's a thousand excuses you could come up with. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough this. I don't have... There's a thousand reasons why you could choose not to do something. And it could all be valid. Am I right? Now the last lifeguard, the last one, this guy looks over at the water he grabs the buoy and he radios in for the boat to go out. And he swims out there. And by the time he gets there, because he's been training for months to avoid this very situation, he gets there before your child gets under the water and he puts him in the boat and he brings him home safe. How many of you are happy that guy was on the scene? How many of you want to be that guy? Listen to me, guys. As believers, we are ambassadors and we have a responsibility in this world to rescue people from depravity, sin, sickness, disease, and unnecessary death. You have that responsibility as a child of God. You cannot negate it. You can avoid it. You can ignore it. But one day, you will stand before the Father and He will say, what did you do with what I gave you? And he's not going to throw you away. He's going to love you. He's going to invite you in. But you're going to wonder, what more could I have done if I had taken this thing just a little bit more seriously than I have? Just a little bit. 
is my eternal perspective in check? Because it's not good enough that a church excuses away why bad things happen when we've got the power to act and do something about it. We've all been there, guys. We've all done the wrong thing. Many of us have tried to change and to do the right thing instead. But there's a whole lot of us who still have to wake up to the truth. Your calling is far greater than just a title and a position. Your calling is to represent your Father on the earth. To be a son. To demonstrate His love and His power wherever you go. Let us strive to be the kind of lifeguards that are willing to put in the effort to be good enough to rescue the world. Because we are plan A and there is no plan B. Amen? I want to just pray for you all, if you don't mind standing. And close your eyes for me and just... Receive from God. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I come against every thought, voice, and mention of condemnation. I break your power over the minds and lives of every person here. Every idea of disqualification, I cancel your power over their lives right now. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the one who empowers us. And so I release your empowering grace upon every single soul in this place this morning. I thank you that it's because of you that we can bear fruit unto holiness. And it's because of you that we can walk in righteousness. And so, Holy Father, I thank you that you've given these things to us. And that they are ours. And I thank you that as people here start to step out in their responsibility to save a world that is drowning in its own filth, to bring it out of that place into your righteousness and holiness, that you'll not only empower them and give them wisdom, but help them prosper and be successful and guide them and protect them in all their ways. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you very much.